0: We are the Borg. Turn up your volume and surrender your iPods. You will be assimilated into the geeky goodness of Trex in Sci Fi. Resistance is futile. And good day to everyone. Welcome to another edition of Treks in Sci Fi. This is going to be podcast one hundred and ninety six four Sunday. I almost said I almost said July. Why would I do that? Oh, must be wishful thinking. Uh, It is October the 19th, 2008, and uh, just uh, about a month away from Podcast 200. Today is going to be a special uh, edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. I try to mix these in when I can. Uh, I've announced, I think, last week and maybe even previously... This week, I am going to cover uh, what I'm calling wet sci-fi, which is sort of sci-fi that involves like the oceans and water and that kind of thing, and uh, mostly related to uh, television series, but a few other little things we'll throw in as well. I thought it'd be fun to do, and uh, I'm a big fan of these kinds of shows. I think, you know, the earth is so covered in water and so many things we don't know. It's just kind of... uh, uh, just fertile ground and ripe for the picking for sci-fi adventures. So we'll be getting to that as the show goes on. Got a lot of things to talk about. Some big Star Trek movie news this week and uh, just lots of things. Hey, to get us started, though, I'm not going to play the normal kind of Trek theme I've been using over the last few weeks. I want to play something a little more to get us in the mood for um, talking about uh, the mysteries of the ocean. So uh, I'll play a little bit of this music here and I'll be right back. Enjoyed that uh, little uh, sort of flashback to the disco era. That uh, song is called Atlantis, and it's about a, uh, excuse me, blah, 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 blah. It's a little too early today, I think. That is called Atlantis. It's by a guy named John Ford off a CD called Dirty Space Disco. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called kind of an import CD. It's got some kind of fun stuff on it. And I found a YouTube video uh, that used it uh, related to the shows we're going to be talking about later on. I'll talk about that as we go. So, uh, again, for those uh, that were alive in the disco era, uh, you probably had some, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, flashbacks and maybe some good or bad memories when I played that. So I thought it was kind of fun, though. So we will uh, continue with the wet sci-fi talk as we uh, get later into the podcast. First up, though... We got some big Trek movie talk to discuss. What's going on
1: with the latest Star Trek movie? Let's find out. What do you say we know?
0: Well, uh, for those listening to this podcast, probably most of the people, I think, listening, uh, the Trek fans out there are aware of this now, but I wanted to uh, take a few minutes to talk about it. Paramount finally sort of loosened the lid a little on the Star Trek movie jar and released some real uh, honest-to-goodness photos of the uh, actors, uh, some of uh, what looks to be the Enterprise Bridge, a little bit of some space battles, and... uh, and one of the aliens, I think the villain, uh, and uh, just a, a cool set of pictures about maybe, I guess there's about 10 or so out now. It's Most of them, I think, are from an Entertainment Weekly magazine article that should be out on stands pretty much now, uh, and I wanted to just take a few minutes to talk about it. Now, we've all been, of course, uh, over the months and, gosh, a long time talking about this Star Trek movie coming uh, that will be coming next May, and we have seen very little, you know, they had that teaser trailer, which showed very little of the film. But now we finally have some honest to goodness. We all saw the actors to a degree, but now we have some real shots of them in costume on the sets. And uh, again, well, let's talk about it. Uh, there's been and, you know, the, there's there's no really way around this. And it was to be completely expected. I don't care what these pictures look like. Uh, they they could have looked anyway. It doesn't matter what they would have looked like. There would have been people who were, you know, really like them. There were going to be people who were not going to like them, and and uh, you know, a bunch of people in between, kind of like, don't really care, or or just are okay and are kind of waiting to see the film. Now, uh, of course, some people will might think, you know, hey, Rico, you love Trek, you know, you're going to of course dig these and love them, and no matter what. And uh, well, you know, I. I do like them. Let's just get that out of the way. I do like what I'm seeing. I like the costuming. I like the way the actors look. And I do pretty much like the sets. Now, it's I have to talk a little bit about that because I think that's been the biggest thing. I mean, there have been some people making some comments about the costuming a little bit. But I think the biggest things I've been hearing and I'll, I guess I'll address a little bit right now is the way the sets look. Now keep in mind, this is just a few pictures. We haven't seen the whole thing in action, and the way it's really going to look. A still image is a lot different, a lot different than when you see it on the big screen and in a movie. So keep that in mind, I guess, when you're seeing this. I, I think the the main thing I wanted to really probably talk about here is the way this bridge is looking to people, and and saying it's looking kind of like, uh, you know. Maybe too futuristic. It just doesn't look like the original series, which this is kind of in that era. Although it is, you know, about approximately 15 years before the original Star Trek series. So keep that in mind. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to look just like the original series. But, you know, J.J. Abrams and his team had a very difficult thing to um, pull off. And I'm not really trying to answer for them or make excuses, but I think I like the look quite a bit because. It looks both, to me, futuristic, but sort of retro too. It, and I don't know if that, if you understand what I mean by that, but it it just looks, you know, Enterprise. I like the look of Enterprise, but Enterprise looked maybe a little too kind of military and and sort of a little too present day to me. You know, they had a lot of like it looked like Dell monitors everywhere. This looks different enough to be okay. Yeah, that's in the future. But it also has some touches on it. And, again, it's very hard to tell from just a few pictures. But it has some touches that make it look like, to me, the original series. There's some doodads. There's some what looked to be the, if you remember, the very original Star Trek pilot, they had these little intercoms on kind of a little long kind of stem or tube, whatever you want to call it, kind of like a flexible cable that stuck out that they talked into. I see that, I think, in these photos um, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I like what I'm seeing. And, uh, but again, it's it's just the look. And I hope people will you know keep an open mind. And I, I know the the fans out there will go see the movie no matter what. They could have shown up in, you know, with styrofoam rocks and and cardboard sets, and people you know would go to see it probably at least the fans. Uh, but they also you know one thing to keep in mind that JJ's trying to do here I think is to bring in a new audience and. People who may never have even seen the original series, you know, are going to be he's trying to get them to sort of this movie to appeal to them so that, you know, he you can only go so far with making things look just like the original. I mean, there is a uh, Star Trek New Voyages uh, now called Phase 2, I think. Uh, where they basically, you know, they tried to make the sets and costuming and every everything look just like the original, but that's what, you know, they're trying to sort of do a follow-up, almost like a season four version of the show. That's not really what he's trying to do in this case, so... Uh I don't know if I've explained my feelings about it, if I'm just kind of, like, babbling too much, but uh, I like what I'm seeing. The costumes, I think, look amazing. I love what they've done with the costumes. They've kept the sort of original coloring schemes for the different departments, but they're a little more muted, and they they just look uh, they look good to me. I, I like the way they're looking. They, they've they kept some of the girls in, in the skirt outfits, it looks like. Uh, they've got the black boots. You know, there's... He had to be very careful because he could have, you know, again, could have turned this into making it look really, you know, kind of silly right now, you know, to make it look just like the 60s TV show. I don't know. There, there's got to be an in-between medium. And I think, I think, frankly, uh, for at least my uh, view of what I've seen so far, I think they hit that spot. I hit. The, think they hit the spot of kind of uh, making it look sort of like the original to a degree, but also making it look new and kind of fresh again, too. It's uh Gosh, I you know, even if they had handed me a pile of money, you know, a big bag of cash and said, "Hey Rico, you go do the movie." I think this is sort of the the path I would have gone down and made it look sort of like this. I mean, it's again, there's so much more we're going to be seeing over the next few months. It looks very much like the trailer will be showing up in November, possibly with the new James Bond film. Nothing's really been confirmed that I know of yet. Uh, but we will, of course, keep an eye on all of that. So if you haven't seen these photos, just you know, search Star Trek movie photos online and Google. You'll find it. They're, they're posted up on my main website. They're on the forums. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, again, has got most of them. So if you go to their main website, you should be able to see that. And the article is online as well to read it if you don't want to go out and buy it Uh so uh, that's about it. Big uh, big things in the Star Trek movie world this week. And I hope everyone, I, I'm more excited than ever about this. I, I just think it's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be great. And I think we will be getting future movies. I, just, I, I have no doubt about it that this is going to be a good movie with a solid story. Leonard Nimoy would not have done this film, would not have said so much about how great he thought the script was and the characters and the way they portrayed were portrayed in it uh and and he just you know he's got no reason to do this unless he thought it was honoring star trek so that is enough for me so that's it for the movie talk uh take a little uh pause here and i'll be right back and we'll talk about a few other things I uh, wanted to make mention of some donations uh, that came in this past week or so uh, from uh, Rick Moyer, Simon Meddings, and Stuart Anu. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Stuart. Uh, thanks, guys, for the donations. And again, if you enjoy the podcast, I'd like to help uh, offset some of my expenses uh, for the website and equipment and things, uh, just go over to the main website. There's a donation button there. You can donate like five bucks or or a monthly donation you can set up if you'd like or, or a one-time amount whatever you'd like just use the um, button that you'll find on the main page well i went to see uh last weekend city of ember that new movie uh, based on the children's book uh in the it's out uh, in theaters with bill murray i thought it was a good story uh nothing really heavy kind of a straightforward movie uh Reminded me of a few other things that I've seen. The look of it was amazing. They used this huge train, uh, train depot or train place that they found and built this huge sort of underground city in it, uh, and uh, it was just beautifully done. looked very believable. Uh, It's just uh, a very enjoyable movie, definitely one you could take the kids to see, and uh, I don't want to say and spoil too much because it's only been out about a week, but uh, I enjoyed that. Later on today I'm going to go see, I think, the new uh, Max Payne movie, which looks pretty amazing. I'm not really much uh, for those kinds of games. It's based off a video game, but the movie looks pretty cool with Mark Wahlberg. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and what else has still uh, been going on in the sci-fi world? Uh, I've been watching Still Fringe, I think, is a, a great show. Uh, for people who haven't you know given it a shot yet, uh, you definitely should try it. I think, for me, it's the most interesting of the new sort of sci-fi-type series on the air this year. I'm really enjoying it quite a bit. It airs, uh, at least uh, in my area, on Tuesday nights. Yes, after House on fox it's a good show very interesting goings on there uh monday night we still have terminator showing and heroes heroes is getting uh pretty interesting i'm liking it this season it's uh lots of things going on we're going to see how uh it all works out. I, I'm not really sure where they're headed with some of the story, uh, but uh, it seems like every week, you know, they kind of toss a few new things at us. But uh, I'm really enjoying it so far this season as well. And Big Bang Theory still a lot of fun. Terminator is good, but uh, I don't know. I'm still worried about the ratings, and uh, we will see how that goes. Uh, hopefully, they'll get at least a full uh, second season here to to uh, continue the series. I really don't think it will be showing uh, again next year at all. So. Uh, and there's a new series, not really sci-fi, I guess, but Crusoe uh, started on Friday night. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but it looked pretty interesting. So I'm going to check that out as well. And we still have some more Stargate Atlantis and Sanctuary on Friday on sci-fi. So all kinds of uh, television sci-fi out there to um, kind of keep us going uh, before we get some more movies and things like that. I um, I think we're going to get into now... Uh, Right after this little musical entry I'm going to play, we're going to get into the uh, wet sci-fi talk. I have a special little treat for you. This was played on last uh, week's RPG podcast that was released, The Ready Room. Uh, This is Rick Moyer singing RPG Writer. Take it away, Rick.
2: RPG! RPG! Writer! Sir or madam, will you read my post? It took me days to write, and now I've got a boast. I made up my character and gave him a name. So I need an idea, and I want to be an RPG writer. RPG writer! It's a pretty story about a big spaceship in the Starfleet setting, and yeah, it's a hit. Season 8 in the Mere Universe a cool story, cause we're writing it first, writers. RPG writers. RPG writers. RPG, writers, RPG writers, RPG writers, RPG Writers. It's hundreds of pages, give or take a few, on the internet. Or two. We can make it longer if we join our post. I can change it around and I want to be an RPG writer RPG writer If you really like it, you can start writing Email Kenny or jam Ken, get your stuff pin Write each day and make the story soar But I need a post and I want to be an RPG writer RPG writer Rider. RPG, Rider, RPG, Rider.
1: Rider. RPG.
0: Great work on the song rick really loved it and uh, if you're interested if we're still doing season eight uh, which involves the mirror universe the borg um all kinds of fun things going on uh, just check out over on the forums and join up if you're not already on the forum send a little p.m message to uh star trek fanatic 5 or jen they both moderate uh the both the forum and the rpg game so uh, check with them and join us uh You're always looking for new writers and people who enjoy uh, Star Trek and like to do a little writing. Uh, We're always welcome for more.
3: Hi, this is Chase Masterson from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek's Sci-Fi Podcast.
0: Okay, let's get on to the main topic for the week. Uh, Wet sci-fi. Sci-fi involving water and the oceans. And I'm going to try to do this kind of chronologically. Basically, I'm going to try to go through... um, you know, as these different shows and movies and things came out. I'm going to cover about, uh, I think, about five approximately. Uh, the main ones, at least, that come to mind for me. This isn't all of them, I don't think, but uh, these are the ones that I've seen, the ones I've enjoyed, and the ones I, I kind of picked out to talk about. Uh, all from, uh, you know, this topic in and, and, you know, sci-fi involving the oceans, I've always thought was a... A cool thing and anything that ever popped up on the movies or tv that involved something like that i've always been kind of tuned into and enjoyed uh quite a bit uh i don't know what it is i've always been kind of a swimmer and like the water a lot like the ocean uh kind of my dream would be to you know if i had all the money in the world i would live on an island somewhere or at least near the water near the ocean on a beach in a big house or something like that uh, it's just very appealing i love looking out at the water i like going in it um like taking a shower? No. Okay. All right. Again, too early. More green tea for Rico. Uh, Anyway, the first thing I wanted to cover, kind of one of the things I think that really set things in motion and kind of started us all on this uh, kind of topic and trend uh, is the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea movie, not the TV show. I'll talk about the TV show a little bit too, but uh, I think the movie came out uh, back in the early '60s. Let me see here. I have some of this stuff written down, which is always helpful. <laughs> it came out in 1961 uh, by. Uh, it was released by 20th Century Fox. The story was written by Irwin Allen and Charles Bennett. Uh, Walter Pidgeon starred as Admiral. Excuse me, Admiral Harriman Nelson and uh, Robert Sterling was Captain Lee Crane. So the characters were uh, sort of established, and the submarine, the Seaview, was established in the movie, and there were a a big supporting cast. To kind of go through this, rather than me talking about it, I thought I would play the movie trailer for you for Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, in Irwin Allen production. And uh, you'll, you know, when you listen to this trailer for a movie from, gosh, what, 48? eight about years ago right now, 47 years ago. You'll you'll notice this. It's a little schlocky sounding. I, I, is that a word, schlocky? I don't know. Uh, anyway, listen to the trailer for Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Come
1: with me, come with me on a voyage to the bottom of the sea.
4: You are there when the entire sky catches on fire the burning Van Allen belt threatening to destroy the universe You are there in a deadly rain of disintegrating icebergs
1: ah!
4: Not even the soaring imagination of a Jules Verne could have dreamed of such a fantastic adventure in an atom-powered submarine that defies description You've seen the brain of the sub in here is the heart the atomic motor room there is more destructive force in this room than in all the explosive used in World War II. With a cast as exciting as the wonders they encountered. Walter Pigeon. We hope to see sights never before seen by man. Joan Fontaine. I say, the belt will burn itself out. At 173 degrees, it will burn itself out. Barbara Eden. <laughs> Peter Lorre. Sounds like sucro. Nothing is impossible. Robert Sterling. If I'm to meet your deadline of the Marianas, I need fighters, not fatalists. Michael and Sarah. And Frankie Avalon. With due respect, sir, I think your judgment's been a little rocky lately. Are you gold-bricking pepper squeak. You are there when the United Nations is thrown into a turmoil. The burning belt must be exploded clear of the Earth's magnetic field. And we have exactly 16 days and three hours in which to do it. EXPLODE THE BELT AND EXPLODE THE WORLD! You are there when the frogmen battle a mammoth squid. You are there when Barbara Eden dances to Frankie Avalon's hot rhythms. You are there in outer space to see the earth encircled in fire. You are there when the mini-sub threads a life and death course through the minefields. You are there when the giant of the sea attacks. You are there in the most startling underwater pursuit ever built.
0: So there you have the uh, trailer uh, for Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Like I said, some pretty funny things in it. I love the uh, "You Are There" when Barbara Eden dances to Frankie Avalon's uh, you know music and and singing. <laughs> anyway, this came out uh, in July uh, of 1961. Here's some interesting kind of facts about this. This movie, which you know has some pretty cool effects and and, and amazing sets and things for the time only actually cost 2 million dollars at that time to be uh to be filmed and made uh it brought in about 7 million in the box office so you know it, it definitely did pretty well and made its money back uh you know 7 million sounds like nothing these days of course and 2 million to make of course also sounds like nothing but it it did pretty well the the critics were kind of so-so on about uh the audience has really kind of uh had a great time with this movie now the basic plot of this is these these uh, Van Allen radiation belts, which kind of had just recently been discovered by scientists at that time. Uh, later on, of course, it was discovered, you know, they're just filled with like subatomic particles. They can't really catch fire like they do in the film. And the Sea View, which is the name of the very cool submarine used uh, in the movie and in the TV show, kind of is racing to uh, launch missiles into this uh, burning belt to kind of you know put the fire out you know sometimes how they'll do that when fires take place it's sort of in one massive blast kind of pulls the oxygen away from it and and it, I don't know there's yeah I'm not a fireman but I know that that's you've been I've seen that used in films and, and TV and things to sort of burn it out or, or to pull out the fuel from it So that's what they're trying to do. And, of course, uh, there's a lot of controversy in the movie about whether this is a good idea or a bad idea. Will it make things better? Will it make them worse? But it introduces all the main characters that we end up seeing in the TV series – uh, along with some extra ones as well, uh, and again, a, a cool movie. If you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. It's out on, I believe, DVD, and you know you can rent it over at Netflix and that kind of thing. It's definitely worth watching. Irwin Allen was, uh, you know, in the early '60s was, was really uh, the disaster movie, you know, guy. He did uh, later on. He did Towering Inferno, I think, and a few others. He he just did a lot of stuff that involved oh, the world's gonna die and or something's blowing up or, or whatever, and uh, it uh, it was a little bit of a series. You know, of course, Irwin Allen worked on this uh, movie. He worked on TV shows in the 60s like Lost in Space, Land of the Giants, and, of course, he worked on the TV series, which we'll segue into right now, the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea television show.
4: To the bottom of the sea, starring Richard Basehart, David Hedison. Voyage to the bottom of the sea.
0: Okay, the TV series uh, "Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea." This show ran in the '60s. It ran from 1964 to March of 1968. It was that decade's longest-running American science fiction TV series with continuing characters. It had 110 episodes. Uh, the first ones, the first 32, were done in black and white, and the later ones, the later 78 of them, were done in color. The uh, idea of this, the first couple seasons were set in the future somewhat. They were supposed to be in the 1970s and the later seasons in the 80s. It starred Richard Basehart, like you heard in the uh, theme music there and David Hedison and along with a bunch of others. Now, this show was very fairly serious sci-fi. Uh only in the kind of maybe near the end. And just like what happened with Lost in Space for uh Erwin Allen, it uh it became a little, you know, monster of the week and a little schlocky. I'm using that word a lot this week, at least for these first shows. <laughs> but there was a lot of um kind of war and cold war elements to this show as well which uh, were kind of interesting and it it shows the era that it was made in of course again featured the sea view uh this massive nuclear powered submarine or atomic powered sub uh, and uh, they traveled across the world you know solving problems and you know things involving um some futuristic things and aliens and uh just lots of different stuff sometimes it was just a, you know a, just a spy or an espionage kind of a show too involving some uh, you know foreign government uh, intrigue and that kind of stuff they also uh, introduced a very cool uh, thing for this later on in the show which was the flying sub which was always a favorite of mine this little sort of mini sub that would come out of the bottom of the sea view and they had the ability to both uh, go through the water and also take off in the uh, into the sky and fly around and kind of as an aircraft, and was sometimes used to kind of shuttle the the characters from place to place. Uh, I don't know what else. Let's see. Had a pretty cool guest cast. You know, there were some pretty cool stars that showed up on this show, uh, just like what happened a lot of times during this era. Uh, again, they, they sometimes even had things like paranormal phenomena, werewolves, and mummies show up on the Sea View. Uh, just all kinds of things involving uh, the ocean, and they would go out a lot of times. You know, in scuba gear. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, especially uh, you know Captain Crane would go out a lot of times. Admiral Nelson not so much, but uh, again, very serious uh, most of the time but occasionally, you know, realmed into other areas. Uh, But it was uh, pretty good uh, overall. I think it's definitely worth seeing if you haven't had a chance to ever catch Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. I think it's all out now on DVD. It's a pretty neat show and uh, one that I fondly remember uh, watching uh, as I was growing up or in reruns. I'm not sure when I actually caught it. I don't think I really, I, I was way too young. I don't think I caught it when it was first airing. It was reruns later in the 70s just like Trek, actually. So uh, I have a very short clip here. There are some bloopers, not a lot of them, but there are some bloopers available that I found uh, this morning when I was gathering some things for the show. So listen to this short clip of bloopers from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea.
4: All hands, this is the captain. The attack's been canceled. And I forgot my line. We are... Cut. Cut it, it. First thing we're going to do is lose those destroyers. Got Brent. I like.
1: Got it. Stand
4: by. Stand by.
0: <laughs> yeah, not a lot uh, there in bloopers, but I thought it was kind of fun to see, uh, especially these guys who. Uh, Richard Basart, especially, was fairly serious always on the show. And it was kind of funny to see him kind of cracking up there on the. Uh, on that clip, uh, which I found on YouTube, so, so there you have Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, cool show. Let's move into the 1970s with uh, probably my favorite of the bunch of shows we're going to talk about today. This has always been a fond favorite. I think I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast before. This is a television show starring Patrick Duffy from 1977 called Man from Atlantis. <laughs> That's the theme song. A very good uh, music on this show. I really, especially enjoy the uh, the theme and the music that was used during the series. This uh, series again, uh, Man from Atlantis, uh, starred Patrick Duffy and had kind of an interesting intro. Uh, what they did with the show was a little bit different. Uh, NBC actually commissioned four TV movies, two-hour films that were shown. They did the uh, first one in March of 1977 then the next one showed up about a month later in April and another one in May and another one in June so for four um, kind of four months in a row in 1977 which uh, if everyone out there listening you know to the podcast of course recalls 1977 in sci-fi history is another important year for a big reason that's when star wars first premiered the first movie in that uh, monster franchise So A Man from Atlantis was around the same time frame, and these TV movies, I just loved when I first saw them. I watched them when they first aired, kind of fell in love with it. Like I said, I've always uh, enjoyed the water and swimming and this idea of this guy that they found kind of washed up on the beach who possibly could be from uh, this ocean civilization of Atlantis. It was just, you know, very intriguing, intriguing and amazing to me at the time. He could breathe underwater. He could breathe in the air. Of course, he had to. He was kind of like uh, an Aquaman character, though. He had to return to the to the water. Uh, is Aquaman like that? I'm not an Aquaman huge up on, or is it Namor? I don't know. One of them, I think, it can live out of the water more than the other. But anyway, the he had to. Um, I think he had about a 12 hour limit, and then he had to get back in the water and be wet and breathe underwater for a while to feel better or else he would dry out basically and die. Uh, Mark Harris playing uh, Patrick Duffy or uh, also known as the man from Atlantis, who uh, this was his big break, his big starring uh, first starring role before, of course, he ended up being uh, Bobby Ewing on the show Dallas later on. Uh, it, uh, one thing that's kind of interesting I found out about this show is it was the first American TV series to be ever showed in China. Which I thought was kind of interesting. In 1980, they they translated this or dubbed it or whatever, and it was the first American TV series ever shown in China, which I thought was uh, pretty impressive, or at least you know, I guess that's just because of the time frame, or I don't know why they picked this one. <laughs> I like it, but uh, I thought it was kind of an interesting little tidbit there. And uh, it eventually showed up in there were some books that the movie or excuse me the series, there were some books, uh, some comics. Uh, The supporting cast included Belinda Montgomery, who went on later to be Doogie Howser's mom on TV. She was on A Man from Atlanta. She was Dr. Elizabeth Merrill. She's uh, a doctor and uh, someone that's involved very much with uh, this place called the Foundation for Oceanic Research. And she discovers Mark. She's the one that kind of realizes he needs to be in the water because he's dying when they first find him in the pilot episode. And she's the one that... Gets him out there and and gets him you know saves his life basically, and the cool thing about this show is that I always thought it was a lot like if Spock sort of you know washed up on Earth he was very much a, and this is going to be no pun intended a fish out of water, and uh, a, a big appeal of the show was was he was you know he would see our world through through kind of alien eyes and you know he was always shocked and amazed by. Things he would run into. I think even in the pilot episode, he sees a small boy and a dog and things like that and it just mystifies him a little bit and uh and he was especially in the early uh, tv movies and when they went to the 13 episodes they only did one season of this show that started in uh, the fall of 77 to uh spring of 78 uh he was kind of a little uh, kind of a little emotionless to a degree early on just again like spock but later kind of loosened up once he got to know people better and uh, became more comfortable with them so again all those things kind of really appealed to me. I enjoyed the show a lot. I'm going to play a, uh, a clip here. This is from the end of the pilot movie. He has uh, kind of helped them out on this little mission, and he has decided to uh, return to the ocean and kind of leave the uh, people he's come to know, especially Dr. Merrill, who kind of saved his life. And there's this cool scene where he swims off into the ocean and... He kind of has flashbacks to everything he's experienced over the last few weeks and he decides to uh, to stick around for a little while which sort of sets the sets things up for the later uh, movies and the TV series So listen to this clip.
1: in the place you call the trench how do you know I have been (laughs) there I like it you still remember nothing about where in the ocean you come from
4: perhaps when I am deep in the ocean I will remember
1: perhaps when you're deep in the ocean you'll forget about us
0: so there again that's from the pilot episode movie of man from atlantis uh still not out on dvd which completely amazes and frustrates me to no end you can see a lot of clips and things on youtube uh i've managed uh let's just say <coughs> uh, cough uh, i've got bootleg <coughs> excuse me no i didn't say that i have some on dvd um <coughs> They're basically just TV episodes. People have recorded it, converted to to DVD. So, hey, you know, out there, uh, movie, uh, you know, uh, whatever. What is it? The M something? Yeah, I don't, can't remember. Anyway, uh, put this thing out on DVD. What's the matter with you people? There's a lot of su- people who would buy it. And trust me. Uh, anyway, one season only out um, that they did 13 episodes for TV movie. So put it on DVD, guys. Uh, let's move on. Uh, the next show, this is from, uh, let's see, when did this first air? I gotta I have to pull up my notes here. Uh, I think in the uh, early 80s, I think it was. Yeah, uh, or mid-80s. Anyway, how about some SeaQuest?
4: The 21st century. Mankind has colonized the last unexplored region on Earth, the ocean. As captain of the SeaQuest and its crew, we are its guardians. For beneath the surface lies the future.
0: I realized when I was playing that theme, I had this show much earlier than it really was. It wasn't in the 80s; it was in the 90s. Of course, it was for three seasons, from 93, 1993 to 1996, and uh, the last season was renamed uh, Sequest 2032, which I have—I uh, think I've seen one episode of that last season. It just—it they changed the show quite a bit. They changed it quite a bit from season one to two. But when it went to season three, it changed a lot. And uh, I wasn't really a big fan of the later uh, year of it. Uh, and it just, I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was a cool show, especially the first season. But each uh, each time they changed things a bit, it just kind of got, I don't know, I didn't like it as much as the earlier uh, season and the, the way it was uh, sort of formatted then. This, of course, starred Roy Scheider as Nathan Bridger, captain of the SeaQuest. And the big thing about this show was, you know, Steven Spielberg. This was kind of a Steven spielberg back series. Uh, It was created, though, by Rockne O'Bannon. I'm sorry if uh, 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 I'm—that's—Rockne S. O'Bannon, who's worked on quite a few sci-fi projects over the year. One, I remember, an old classic kind of cult film, Dark Star, he worked on. Uh, And it was, this was sort of a, I would call it a sort of, you know, 20 years later or whatever, 25 years later voyage to the bottom of the sea. That kind of idea uh, of a super sub kind of cruising the ocean and adventure and things going on. It was fairly expensive. I think that's one of the things that uh, hurt its, uh, you know, being not a sort of long running series. I think that kind of changed things For it or kept it under the gun for uh, the ratings uh, and the people who love to cancel things, uh, which is kind of sad. Uh, Again, uh, if I had all the money in the world, um, this show would have gotten a little bit, you know, treated a little bit better. I think they kind of also were not quite sure what to do with it at times. I mean, they had some really interesting, really cool episodes, and other times I think it was a little weak, at least in my opinion. Uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about this one, because we have a special set of people who uh, uh, will uh, fill you in on what they think of uh, Sequest, and that's uh, Rick and Nathan with their father and son review of this show. So listen to what they have to say, and I'll be right back. The 21st century.
4: Mankind has colonized the last unexplored region on Earth, the ocean. As captain of the SeaQuest and its crew, we are its guardians. For beneath the surface lies the future.
1: Hi, this is Rick.
4: (laughs) And this is Nathan. What are you
3: doing? I'm underwater. He's underwater. That's real cute. And this is the the Father and Son Son Review. Review. Underwater. (laughs) You're so goofy. Hey. Rico, thanks for uh, reviewing the underwater sci-fi episodes of different series and stuff. Our favorite, of course, uh, out of all the underwater series was Sequest: That's right. and who are some of your favorite characters from Sequest? There was three ep- or three seasons. What's some of your favorite? Um, number
5: one was Lucas
3: you liked Lucas
5: he was he was like the Wesley crusher of he was of that place yeah,
3: of Sequest. yeah, I agree. Who else did you like on that show Creed. Yeah, and Krieg. I think it was hey, Krieg. Krieg. You're right. It was Krieg. Krieg. Yeah. That episode with the cheeseburger was out of this world. It was great. He was sing all about a cheeseburger, and then is he... that
5: contraband?
3: <laughs> anyway, what else did you like about Sequest? What were some of the cool things about it?
5: Nathan Bridger was pretty cool. Yeah,
3: we liked him. Royce and Schneider. My, Schneider, my favorite um,
5: supporting actor has got to be <clears throat> Ape. Oh, you mean Ape Darwin. Yes, the The dolphin. The dolphin. The fake dolphin, by the way.
3: We didn't know that, though. For all that time, we thought the dolphin was real, and he was so amazing, and he talked like this. Remember when the, the, uh, what was the name of the the liquidator, or whatever his name was, that came on, and yeah, ape. that was just hilarious. So we liked Darwin, and we liked, uh, well, okay, out of the seasons, though, the first season was excellent. The second season...
5: You know, the only reason the second season sucked is because of the plant episode.
3: The plant episode was pretty bad, wasn't it?
1: (laughs)
5: Yeah,
3: if if anybody's ever watched that, they know what we're talking about. And then, of course, uh, not many people saw the third season, but we did get it on DVD. I think it's pirated, but we did get season three. I wouldn't have
5: ever guessed the pirated thing by the lack of copyright things that popped up everywhere.
3: Yeah, anyway, uh, so we watched season three, and what did you think of season three of Sequest?
5: Um, it was, it was okay. I didn't really like Piccolo in that one, though. No, yeah. He was sort of ret- no, he was just stupid.
3: Yeah, so, anyway, so we really liked Sequest for a lot of different reasons. I liked it because the ship was really cool. I liked it, some of the plots were excellent. I liked the, just the whole underwater feel and the different... And Dagwood! Yeah, that was kind of cool, the Gelfs, and, uh... Why? Yeah, that, that was kind of cool to see the Deloise brothers working there, uh, yeah. Anyway, it was great. It had all sorts of cool futuristic oh, things babes. to babes.
5: There's some babes on Sequest. Oh, what was her name?
3: I don't know. You had to talk about oh, the, the babes because I'm little, married. The,
5: the one with the little the stuffed animal.
3: Oh, what's her name? So I don't like remember. Like every
5: season, she got a smaller shirt. I forgot her name. Okay, that's enough. Okay, that's Gosh, true.
3: my son. So you like Sequest for other reasons no. than just for, than just the... What do they call those little things that went around the ship? Whiskers. Whiskers. You liked it for more than just the Whiskers. Okay, well, there you go. Okay, so, okay, okay, that's enough. Okay, out of all the stars that you could give for Sequest as a series, what? how many stars would you give it, one to five?
5: 4.5 loaded torpedo bays.
3: All right, and I'm going to give it a 4.5 loaded torpedo bay as well. A flooded torpedo flooded bay. To, okay, yeah. Flooded, okay, yeah. flooded. Flood the torpedo tube. That's right. So there you go. Um, we like Sequest. I'm Rick.
5: And I'm Nathan. Ape. Ape
3: and this has been
1: dream, dream, dream. Sun, sun review dream, 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 dream. under bubble, the sea bubble, under
3: bubble, bubble, the sea bubble, life bubble. is much better down bubble, where it's, where it's wetter check it and see
0: well thanks guys for your take on sea uh oh nathan the the girls on the show the one you might be thinking of i think is stacy heidick is that how you pronounce her last name She was also, if you ever saw the old Superboy live-action sort of syndicated show they did back in the 80s, I believe, she was Lana Lang on that show. She was, uh, her character's name was Hitchcock, I believe, on on this, on Sequest. So there was also the Doctor Who, her and Nathan Bridger kind of had a little thing, I think, going on. Um, her, uh, what was the doctor's, Westfallen or Westphalen or something is how you say her name. Uh, but again, those are the only, not a lot of really female characters. I think they did introduce another one later on, but I'm trying to, uh, find out who that was. Kathy Evan Evison? Evison is, uh, uh, she was Lonnie Anderson. Yeah, here we go. I'm, I'm finding it now. So anyway, yeah, there were some girls on here, and of course, you know, girls in the ocean, they get a little wet. All right, we're going to stop there. That next series, this show, uh Is a much more recent one. This one is uh, called Surface, which was on NBC just a few years back and uh, really was a cool series. Got cut short, uh, only got like 15 episodes of this show, and ended kind of in a major, you know, kind of cliffhanger. And it was very disappointing to me. I thought it had a lot of cool features, a lot of neat things going for it. Uh, I was very, very disappointed. My son and I really both watched this show. Uh, you know, I, I guess the you know people say the word religiously. I don't understand what that really means, but we were tuned in every week, not time shifting this show, watching it when it aired live. Uh, there's something about it that this the show surface, which uh, seems very real, and uh, just a lot of things cool about it that uh, I really was sad when they decided not to bring this show back. Uh, you know, boo, boo, NBC. I think it was NBC again. NBC. The funny thing. As I go through these shows, Sequest was NBC, Man from Atlantis was NBC, Surface was NBC. So, hey, at least they try, I guess. So I've got uh, this clip that I've got. It was difficult. I tried to find some things from Surface to play for you. They didn't really have a cool theme song or anything like that, which is always nice to play if they have those kinds of things. But this what I'm going to play, this clip that I gathered from uh, the show Surface, and I'll come back and talk a little more about it. This is sort of towards the end of the series. And you know how they do those recap things at the beginning of shows? Well, that's what this you're going to hear. And uh, so you will get a little bit of a taste for the show. Hopefully this doesn't spoil it if you haven't seen it. Uh, but uh, they don't really give away a whole lot. But anyway, here is a little bit of a sort of previously on surface kind of talk at the beginning of, I think, maybe the second or the third uh, to the end, uh, one of the later episodes of the show.
2: Pre- on surface, a swarm of creatures attacked Miles. Miles recovered, but something inside him changed. Rich and Daughtry gathered evidence of the new species and showed it to
4: the world. To the top of the countdown now, and we conclude with a wild tale of what lies beneath. Do you think it could be a leftover dinosaur?
0: Harley? Within six months, we will be on the brink of an ecological disaster.
4: Bring
2: him but Lee will do anything to shut them down. Now, Surface continues.
0: Okay, so that gives you a little info about uh, the show Surface. Uh, this is out on DVD. Just one season, like I said, 15 episodes. Let me give you a little bit more background. It first showed on NBC. Uh, started in May of, or sorry, not May, September 2005. Finished out in May of 2006. It had average ratings. Uh, they had a very cliffhanger ending. Uh, it was intended uh, originally as a series composed of fewer episodes, but they decided to make it a full series. It was also first called "Fathom" was the original title for this show. They also showed it on the Sci-Fi Channel, kind of rebroadcast it like they do that sometimes, because NBC I think owns the Sci-Fi Channel right now. It focused on uh, uh, a few characters, mainly oceanographer Laura Daughtry played by Lake Bell, uh, which was kind of interesting. I always thought her name was Lake Bell, and she was on this show about the water and the oceans. But they started to discover this sort of new form of sea life uh, under the water uh, that had never been seen before. They had a few different types of creatures on the show, these huge... Very large whale-like creatures, just monster size, that they went down and see, saw in the, uh, you know, they had this sort of deep sea diving bathosphere that uh, they spent a few episodes down in the water examining these creatures and seeing them. There's also this young boy named Miles who sort of befriended this new creature who he named the creature Nim, And it was sort of, I guess, about the size of a sea otter, approximately. It kind of looked a little bit like that. But uh, they sort of formed a bond between Miles and Nim, uh, which was kind of a neat thing. And it also started to, uh, what Miles went through, and I'm again, trying not to give away too much, Miles uh, started to, as you heard in that preview clip, he kind of started to be changed slightly because of his relationship and things that happened. Again, I won't say everything, but it, it's still worth watching. It's really sad that they didn't get a chance to finish Surface out uh, maybe someday, you know it'd be cool if somebody would just do a book or something like that i've heard a few things in magazines and online about some of what they were shooting for and where where they were you know taking the show to but it's you know kind of just you have to dig around for it and it would be nice if they got a chance to wrap some of these shows up uh, I don't know there should be some kind of rule out there when a show gets cut short the guys that are working on the show should be you know required to post or or do something to uh, satisfy us fans about hey what what was going on you know it would be like if lost the TV show ended after season 1 or 2 and we were like uh could you guys explain what was going to happen at least with that uh uh, you know, I, I know why they do cliffhangers and why they try not to give a lot away because that keeps you coming back each week and all. But when a show gets cut short, it's it's really kind of sad that uh, we don't really get, you know, sort of closure and get things wrapped up. Uh, you know, it would be nice if they gave them enough of a heads up. One season shows are really just difficult to do that with. though There's really no way a lot of times to wrap them up. So I can understand it, but it's still a very cool show. And uh, set in the water, and involving both science and science fiction at the same time. But most of this show, I have to say, wasn't very science fictionish. It was fairly believable, I thought, most of the time. And uh, I think the, uh, you know, it, it just it, it involved a lot of different themes and a lot of cool stuff. So check it out out on DVD. Okay, I just have one more show I want to cover. There were some others, but th- this would uh, kind of round us out. This show that I want to cover, this was just done as a pilot episode. It was pretty much going to be a TV series, but yeah, for a variety of reasons, they or for, did I say variety or am well, I slurring my words? This, this green tea is spiked. Somebody spiked my green tea. This show was um, basically going to become a TV series. They made a pilot episode, but again, it didn't make it to a regular show. But I thought it was pretty neat. They first showed or put this out onto iTunes. I bought it and liked it a lot. I believe uh, you can still find it there and other places. Maybe Hulu, I think. Hulu.com, you can watch this there. What I'm talking about is the pilot episode to uh, the CWs, I guess, at the time. Uh, This is for uh, Aquaman, the TV show. and This is done kind of in the vein of Smallville, where basically you have Aquaman as as a kind of a you know early 20 year old guy trying to discover about himself and his abilities and and learning about his uh his origins and and his background and, and things like that anyway i am going to play now for you the this is like about a two minute little trailer for the pilot movie to aquaman so listen to this
1: my son's story begins in the ocean a place full of secrets Although he lives among you, he was born in the darkest reaches of the sea. I'd hoped to teach him the ways of the world, how to lead a good life and become a good man. But then, I was taken from him. Do good with your life.
2: Look, you're under arrest for breaking and entering. You want to know the real reason why I freed those dolphins?
1: Because I felt like they were calling to me. What are you saying? You can talk to fish now? Dad, I went from holding my breath for five minutes to being able to breathe underwater. I can swim faster than a cigarette boat at full throttle. How do you explain any of that?
2: All these files contain pictures of people who have vanished in the Bermuda Triangle. I want you to join us, Lieutenant. Help unlock the mysteries of the Triangle. I remember the day your mother's plane went down. Who are you? An exile like you and your mother exile from where? Atlantis.
1: Did you say hi to Captain Nemo and the Little Mermaid for me?
2: You can't run away from your true calling, Oren. So if Atlantis exists, then how come no deep sea probe has been able to discover it? Because it's cloaked in a shroud no modern technology can penetrate. The Bermuda Triangle. If you look hard and long enough into the deal, something's going to start looking back. in the deep you couldn't imagine in your worst nightmares well that's reassuring
1: thanks a lot
0: so there you have the uh kind of preview trailer to aquaman again for uh the cw that decided to pass on this show it started uh, justin hartley there as Aquaman, or I'll uh, usually called AC in this uh, pilot episode. This pilot episode really has some great production qualities. It's, it was very expensive to do; it cost about seven million just to make this pilot. Uh, and it was again was one of the first uh, pilot episodes and first shows ever offered by uh, Warner Brothers, by the WB, on the iTunes Store, and it became a huge hit there for a buck ninety nine. I think it was. You could download and watch it, and uh, People mostly liked it quite a bit, and especially those that are fans of the sort of Smallville style. And just like, uh, we'll throw a little uh, parallel here for you out. Just like I thought that Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was sort of a precursor, and that Seaquest was an updated version of that show. Man from Atlantis, my, you know, one of my favorites. Uh, it's uh, this show, Aquaman, to me would have been sort of the updated, future, and new version of. Uh, You know, Aquaman being, uh, you know, the sort of modern day man from Atlantis to a degree. And uh, I was very disappointed when they decided not to go with the show. I thought it would have been really neat. Uh, Justin Hartley, if uh, those watching uh, or those listening also watch Smallville, he eventually or uh, also got a chance to be uh, the Green Arrow. He is now a regular on Smallville this season. He plays the Green Arrow uh, on there as well. Uh, What's his name on there? Oliver. Oliver Queen, excuse me. Yes, is the Green Arrow. So he at least got to do that. Um, There was a little bit of a strange history, too, with his casting for Aquaman. There was another actor. uh, What was his name? I've got it written down here somewhere. Toll, I think, uh, was his last name. And they decided, uh, uh, looking, 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 excuse me, yeah, let's see. Toll. All I'm seeing is his last name. Will Toll. Will was his first name. For some reason, they decided to go in a slightly different direction and got Justin Hartley to take over the role. So I think uh, I'm not really sure why that's the case. But anyway, the, the show just never made it. And it's it's a little disappointing. But it's kind of cool that, you know, in the old days when a pilot wouldn't make it, you it would just disappear. Sometimes you would never see it. But in these days with modern uh, technology and iTunes and downloads, we do get a chance to see these, which I'll take. I mean, they, uh, you know, there's sort of a good and bad with that. You get to see things that look like to you they have a lot of potential, but they never get to become a regular show. But if if the choice is never being able to get to see them at all, um, I'll take this too it's uh, at least a chance also for these guys to recoup a little bit of the money back from it and maybe to get a little feel for uh, what people think of the show. So uh, the uh, I'll bring up another kind of analogy or similar situation. You know, this new TV show on Sci-Fi Channel on Sanctuary, or on Sanctuary, called Sanctuary, was started as a web series and eventually became a TV series, a full show on Sci-Fi, where uh, this Aquaman show was going to be a TV series series. The pilot, and you know, it didn't get uh, picked up, and they at least released the pilot online. So there's a lot of back and forth going on right now between online distribution and things showing up on TV, and uh, I think that's kind of cool. And you know, we're getting a little bit more uh, more you know content this way and things like that. So uh, those people also who watch Smallville will realize that the guy who plays the Aquaman character on there that shows up from time to time. Isn't the same actor, of course, playing uh, in this uh, pilot movie. Uh, it's in a guy named Alan Richson, I think is his name, on uh, Smallville. Of course, they couldn't really have Justin Hartley do it because he's Green Arrow on Smallville. Now, if you're completely confused, I think that's about all. We're going to wrap up the look at the wet sci-fi TV and movies for uh, this special edition of Trex in Sci-Fi. I hope you enjoyed this look. I think I still have time. I'm going to do a quick collectible review for you, and then we'll wrap up the show. So I'll be right back.
1: How about a collectible review? Right here on Treks and Sci-Fi with Rico Dosti.
0: The collectible I want to talk about uh, I just got a few days ago in the mail. This was a little. This one's a little different. Uh, this was actually sort of a mail away. You know, cut the little uh, barcode things off packages and send away for this. What I have here is made by Hasbro and it is a replica of Indiana Jones' uh, Ark of the Covenant. This is uh, a sort of a little plastic uh, made. Uh, yeah, it's not the, you know, most fanciest, most expensive little item in the world, but it looks pretty cool I think and I'll put some pictures up in my collecting gallery online and link them in the podcast notes and all that. Uh, what this was they for uh the Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull movie. Of course there's been a lot of new Hasbro merchandise and action figures and things for Indy out. And if you collected some of those and and cut the little, like I said, the little stickers or whatever they were, mail them in with a little form along with a few dollars for shipping, which I sent back in during the summer, I think early July, I finally got this. So what did it take? Three months. (laughs) <laughs> anyway uh they would send you one of these little collectible Ark of the covenants uh that was seen in raiders of the lost ark and the best of course of the indiana jones movie i think it's about a one-sixth scale uh it's meant to go with the sort of uh, a foot size you know 12 inch size indie figures out approximately give or take uh i don't know exactly the scale of it it doesn't really say but it comes in a little crate kind of style box um saying property of, you know, Dr. Jones and all. Uh, and inside you'll find the Ark. Uh, it's it's very bright gold, of course, and it is made out of plastic. And there are the little uh, handles that they use, Indian Sala used to pick it up. You slide those into the ends, and then it's got those little handles on it as well, which makes it fairly long. It opens. The top, of course, lifts up. Of course, you got to, you know, look away or else you'll get... Uh, melted right so but uh the uh the top of it opens hey you know if you like you could use it to hold your little you know your money or your wallet or jewelry if you're going to use it you know day to day of course i'll stick it in a cabinet somewhere and keep it all protected nice but uh but it's a neat little giveaway and i think these things are still available if you're out there uh and you buy some of the indie toys the offer i think is inside and you can check that out and maybe get one for yourself i know basically what they said uh with the offer was limited supply so basically you know when they run out of these if as the offers come in and people send in their little stickers and things from the packaging when they run out they run out but i thought it was supposed to pretty much be covered through the end of this year or so to get this so if you want to still get one go out there and buy some indie figures and send it in you'll still be able to get uh, hasbro to send you one hopefully well, folks, that's about going to wrap up this edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show. I, I do want to make mention of one th- special thing. I am going to be doing this video show. I've mentioned it here before. We're going to do this special for Podcast 200, which comes up towards uh, uh, the end of November. Uh, I'm going to do a video where I'm asking people to send in clips of them acting out a Trek scene from one of the TV, any of the TV series or the movies. You know, maybe about a three-minute clip, no more than about five minutes would be great. Uh, You can send those in to me. If you have trouble uh, or have any questions about this, just email me, treksf at gmail.com. The videos, I think, are going to be due, like, Friday. I think it's November 21st or so. Uh, Check your calendars because that weekend I will be putting together that podcast. So get those cameras out and start acting out, you know, your favorite Shatner uh, impression. Uh, next week, we're going to be covering the original series episode, Court Martial, which should be a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to that. If you have any comments or anything you want to send in related to that, uh, please do so. And I think that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this special edition of the podcast, and uh, throw some reviews up on iTunes if you're still uh, liking the show. Always welcome uh, to see new ones up there, and uh, also Podcast Alley, and you know that kind of thing. So... Until next time, everyone, have a great week. I will talk to you again next time. Bye bye for now. This has been a Rake Dusty podcast production.